All right. Wonderful worship tonight. Thank you so much, Nicole. Philippians chapter 1. I'll just tell you right off the bat, Philippians is my favorite book that Paul wrote. And I'll tell you why. It is his most personal letter. Paul started a lot of churches. Paul had a lot of ministries. Paul dealt with a lot of people, but he had a special love and a special affection and a special connection with the people at Philippi. And I think we're going to get, begin to get some insight as to why tonight. As I shared with you Sunday, I want to title this series, Fighting for Joy. Why that? Because I think that Paul wants us all to realize that we as God's followers could experience the joy that only God can give us, that fullness of joy, if you will, that extreme, exquisite joy. But so often, even as Christians, we settle for something less than what God wants to bring into our life. You see, this fighting for joy isn't rejection of joy, it's rejection of cheap joy. It's not re rejection of satisfaction, it's rejection of superficial satisfaction. Faction. It's not rejection of delight, it's rejection of shallow delight. Paul is saying God wants to give us his joy, his joy, and that we can truly experience his joy even here on this earth. We can have that inner sense of well-being no matter what our circumstances. And I think as we study the book of Philippians, we're going to see an insight into the apostle Paul as to how he did that, and how we can do that as well. You see, Philippians shows us a vibrant Christian in difficult circumstances radiating a contagious joy. Because let's not forget, Paul was under house arrest in Rome. He was a prisoner when he wrote this. This is one of Paul's prison epistles. It's not like Paul had this, you know, he was on top of the mountain right here and he's writing about joy. No, he's writing about joy as a prisoner of the Lord. Philippians displays a Christian on whom the world has lost its grip. In other words, there's nothing that the world offers Paul anymore that enamors him, that captivates him. All that captivates him is found in his God and in his relationship with God, which is why his joy is not something that can be taken away from him because it's not tied to anything earthly, anything worldly, anything temporal. It's not, it's not something that is circumstantial. It is, it's much deeper than that. It is, it is literally grounded and anchored in him and his God. That's where his joy is found. If there would be a way to summarize this book in four words, it would be this. Paul says, I rejoice, you rejoice. That's really what it comes down to. I'm rejoicing. I want you to rejoice as well. So tonight, I don't know how far we're going to get because I don't want to rush through this. But I do want to lay out for you tonight, sort of in the first 11 verses, where I, I hope to touch on tonight. And like I said, maybe we'll get through it all. Maybe, but this is especially for you note takers or you people who, you, you folks who like to like, have an, an outline or some, some form to, to follow. In the first couple of verses, we're going to see Paul's surrendered life. Then in verse 3, Paul's thankful heart. 
In verse 4, Paul's joyful prayer. In verse 5, Paul's shared life. In verse 6, Paul's ultimate confidence. In verse 7 and 8, Paul's deep affection for the Philippians. And then finally in verses 9, 10, and 11, Paul's desire for the Philippians. And we're going to learn from these things, again, sort of Paul's insights into a life of joy, a life experiencing the joy of God. Notice in the first two verses, from Paul and Timothy, and we'll come back to that in a few moments when he talks about partnerships, slaves of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how Paul and Timothy describe themselves as the senders of this letter. They are slaves of Christ Jesus. There's nothing higher or more noble that would describe our life as a Christian than to say, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I am surrendered. Because it is in us surrendering our life to Jesus Christ that we truly find joy. (laughs) And there is joy in serving Jesus. That's where Paul starts. That's really where it all starts. Are we surrendered? I can't really be a servant of Jesus until I'm surrendered to him, until I make myself available to him and say, Lord, here I am. What do you have for me today? What, what, What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to meet with? Whatever. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. It's a surrendered life. And there's nothing, again, higher. It's the highest call. I mean, there's no greater description that you and I could give of our own life than just simply say, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. That's as good as it gets. Because we are serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. And again, there's there's nothing more honorable, there's nothing that has more dignity, more value, more worth than looking at our lives as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, that he is willing to use us as his servants and that he wants to use us as his servants in his kingdom work here on this earth. So that's where Paul starts. Paul's surrendered life. But then look at verse 3. Paul begins sort of the body after the introduction of this letter by sharing with us his thankful heart. Notice Paul says in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. One of the insights into A life of joy is not only a surrendered life, it is a thankful heart. And Paul here is putting his thankful heart, in a sense, on display. It's like Paul saying, I want to be thankful. I want to be grateful. I want to show God how much I appreciate him and what he's done in my life. And in this instance, who he's brought into my life. And I want to thank him because I know that every good and every perfect gift comes from him, including the people in our lives, like 
to Paul the Philippians, which is why he says, I thank my God for you. But Paul wanted to thank God. He wanted to pause and thank God. A thankful heart is going to be a heart that experiences the joy of God. An ungrateful heart, uh, a heart that feels entitled, because don't we live in a world today where so many folks live with that sense of entitlement or expectation, like they're owed all this stuff? And as Christians, we should have just the opposite perspective that God doesn't owe us anything. And then it begins to open up this vast treasure house of all that God has done for us that we don't deserve and that we haven't earned and can never earn and that we do not merit, nor could we ever merit. And it begins then to get a little overwhelming real quick when we begin to think about all that God has done for us and how thankful we should be to him. It's a good practice, I think, for all of us to get up every day and one of the first things that we do when we open up our eyes every morning is to say, thank you, God. Thank you for your presence in my life. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for giving me another day on this earth to be your servant. Thank you for all the blood. And just begin to, you know, start the day off thanking the Lord. But then I do want us to see here tonight that Paul was very specific here. He's telling the Philippians, I thank God for you. Every time, not just some of the time, every time I'm mindful of you, every time you come to my mind, I'm thanking God for you. Wow. And yet there's something that brings joy into our life when we can be thankful for some of our fellow believers. Because then we begin to, to remind ourselves of the blessing that they are in our life and how God brought them into our life because nothing happens by accident. God strategically brought certain people into our lives to, for us to do life with and, and ministry with and all of these things with, and they are such a blessing. And he's saying, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. So we see here Paul's surrendered life. We see Paul's thankful heart. Then notice in verse 4, Paul's joyful prayer and let me say this, prayer is another one of those ways that we experience joy. <laughs> Why? Because the act of praying is the act of acknowledging God in our lives, our need of God, and even the comfort and the strength that we get from knowing that we can take anything and everything to God and that he hears our prayers and that he answers our prayers and that he's there for us as we pray. We have not because we ask not. And there's something that brings joy into our life knowing I don't have to carry this burden myself. I can take it to the Lord. If I have a need, I know I can take it to the Lord. 
Whatever's on my heart, I know I can take it to the Lord. And there's something that brings a deep inner sense of well-being, knowing that I don't have to hold this in. I can always take these things to God and I can pour out my heart to God. And God is always available for me and he's always there for me. And so prayer is another insight into that fight for joy. It's also one of the reasons why our spiritual enemy tries to keep us from praying. He tries to keep us ungrateful because he knows a thankful heart will experience joy. He also wants to keep us unsurrendered because he knows a surrendered life will bring joy. But he also tries to keep us from praying because in communing with God and communicating with God and being with God in his presence and pouring out his heart and even listening to him and his love and and his desires and his revelation for us, we begin to experience joy. So he does everything he can to try to keep us from prayer. But I also want you to see here in Paul's praying that Paul even adds, it's a joyful prayer. It's joyful because I know I can talk to God, the God of the universe, about you, that I can bring your needs and and what's going on in your life as, as dear brothers and sisters. I can take that to the Lord. That brings me joy because many times as human beings, We can feel so helpless, but we don't have to because maybe there's somebody dear to us in our life, another fellow Christian who has a great need and we can't do anything about it. But guess what? We can always go to the God of the universe who can always do something about it. He can either minister to them, he can give them grace, he can do whatever, but we can always feel like we're doing something when we pray and that brings joy to us. You see? But I think he's also saying, I always pray with joy in my every prayer for all of you because every time he was praying for them, it was a joy to pray for them. Don't miss that. Paul is saying in verse 4, every time I thought of praying for you there in Philippi, It wasn't like, oh, I got to pray for them again. Like it was a drudgery or it was this hard work. No, Paul says, you don't understand. It was always a joy for me to pray for you. Do you have Christians like that in your life? And hopefully there are people in your life that, feel that way about you, that when they're praying for you or about you to the Lord, it's a joy for them. It's a joy. That was Paul. Paul said, I'm not only praying, but I'm praying with joy because I know I can pray for you. And you're such a joy to me that it's a joy for me to pray for anything for you. It's not a burden. That's why as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we learn to have the kind of fellowship, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, that, that we can have with certain Christians, we realize it's, it's never a burden to ask our fellow believers to be praying for us or thinking of us in a certain way or whatever. That it's a joy because of the relationship that we have, and, and especially that we can take them to our Heavenly Father, and we know that He loves them even more than we do, and that He'll do more than we 
could ever ask or think, because he's, as we learned in the book of Ephesians, beyond able, or as Nicole has reminded us, more than enough for us and for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So again, Paul here, he's been fighting for real joy in his life, not settling for something less than what only God can give him. And he's learned that a surrendered life brings joy, a thankful heart brings joy, prayer brings joy. Verse 5, here's something else that brings joy. A shared life, partnerships with fellow Christians. Notice he says in verse 5, because of your participation in the gospel, I'm able to pray with joy from the first day until now. And then if you go down to the end of verse 7, he reminds them, you became partners in God's grace together with me. The word participation is a very important word in the New Testament. It's the word koinonia. It's a word that's many times translated fellowship. And I can remember growing up in church as a young lad and, and, and hearing about things like, you know, we fellowship when we have meals together as Christians. It's a fellowship meal. And there's nothing wrong with describing a meal uh, where Christians come together as a fellowship meal. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have to understand as Christians that the word fellowship and the concept of koinonia is much more than just sitting down together and eating together. It is literally, as Paul's pointing out here, it is a shared life with a shared vis vision and shared blessing. It is partnerships that God puts together to, to, to go after common goals, to be able to work together and have our hearts knit together so that, that we can accomplish things for the glory of God and that God, even in that process, is pouring out the same grace to each of us in those partnerships so that we're not trying to do this on our own, but we have the supernatural enablement and empowerment of God. Partners. Paul was not, as we've said over and over again, never a Lone Ranger Christian. Again, refer back up to verse 1, Paul and Timothy. Paul had a partner. His name was Timothy. He loved Timothy. And he and Timothy worked together in the gospel, you see, in the ministry together. And there was something so great about the, the connection and the kindred spirit that they had. And Paul says, there is nothing like finding Christians that you can be partners with and that you can have true fellowship with and that you can participate together in the work of the Lord. It brings great joy to your life. And so many Christians miss out because we never get close to any Christian to that level to where we literally do life and ministry together with somebody. And Paul is saying, you don't know what you're missing when you don't have those partnerships with other Christians. 
Paul also says in verse 6, another insight into joy is having our ultimate confidence in the Lord. Notice he says to the Philippians, for I am sure, I am certain, and there's not a lot in this world we can be sure and certain of, but Paul was sure and certain about this, and that's what he wanted to reveal to the Philippians, of this very thing, that the one, God, who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's basically reminding the Philippians, I'm sure of this, whatever God started in you and whatever God started in your church in Philippi, he'll finish it because God is not a quitter. He never quits on us. He never, you know, backs out. He never checks out. He never forsakes. He never abandons. He is with us from day one to the end. Even Jesus said that. I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus, always there. And by the way, just some other things about verse 6. Notice a couple things that Paul says as he's expressing his ultimate confidence in God. And by the way, when you and I place our ultimate confidence in the Lord, there's joy there. <laughs> because when you and I begin to place our ultimate confidence in, in man-made things or in other human beings or whatever, our joy is going to go up and down. <laughs> But as we even sung about, God is faithful. God is always there. He's always sure. He's always certain. He's trustworthy. He's reliable. He's dependable. And when our joy is tied to finding our ultimate confidence in him, then our joy can be constant. But notice Paul says to the Philippians in describing this ultimate confidence that he has in God, that God, first of all, initiated something in, in all of us. He was the initiator. God didn't wait for us. He started it. He is the one who, noticed began this good work. And then Paul is saying, oh, and I'm sure he's going to finish this good work. And he describes it as a good work because it's of God, because it is fitting us to be in the presence of God for all of eternity, and that God will perfect it until you and I see Jesus one day. What a great verse. One of my favorite verses in the book of Philippians. So we have Paul's surrendered life, Paul's thankful heart, Paul's joyful prayer, Paul's shared life, Paul's ultimate confidence. Now go down to verse 7 and 8, Paul's deep affection for the Philippians. There's nothing that can bring about joy in our life like receiving love and giving love. That's true in our own relationship with God, and that's even true in our relationships with other fellow believers. Obviously, not every fellow believer, but there should be some in our life that we feel about them the way Paul felt about the Philippians. Notice what he says in verse 7. It is right for me to think this about you all because, first of all, he says, I have you in my heart. You're engraved there. You're, you're cut deep. You're not going anywhere. And notice what he says about them. He says, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, 
all of you became partners. Notice what Paul's saying there. He says, you know when things became really hard for me and other people cut and run? Because you remember the passage in 2 Timothy where he says, at my first offense, no one stood with me except the Lord. Everybody forsook me and fled. He's saying, but you Philippians, when things got tough for me, when, when everybody else turned their back on me, that's when you jumped in. Wow. It's nice to know that you have a few people like that in your life. Because we all know that there are some people in our life that they're there for us when everything's going good, but, but if things start going south in our life and tanking and whatever, it's like, oop, we're out of here. You know, we're here during the good times, but... I'm not going to be there when things get really bad for you or around you or whatever. No, no. I'm just a fair-weathered friend. Paul is saying, I loved you even more because I knew that you weren't here with me just because I was on top of the world. No, in fact, you were there with me when I was at the bottom. That's when you know where your true friends are, right? When they're not there, when you're at the top, but when you're at the bottom. In fact, that, that's one of the actually sad, tragic things about celebrity. Is that celebrities find out when they're on top of the world and they're making the, the big bucks and they're on, you know, splashed all over the covers of everything and front and center. Everybody wants to be their friend. But when they're no longer popular and they no longer have that celebrity, nobody wants to be around. Because the only reason they wanted to be around them is because of you know, their celebrity, which comes and goes. Paul says, I, I knew that wasn't the case with you guys because you weren't with me when everything was going good in my life. You were there when I hit rock bottom. And then I love this, what he says in verse eight. For God is my witness that I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Loving others and being loved, nothing brings joy like that. Like receiving the love that God has for us and giving that love back to him and also doing that with a few other people in our life. Do you have other Christians in your life that you could say with Paul, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Not with any affection, with the same affection that Jesus has for us. That's powerful. By the way, before we wrap this up tonight, let me share a little background of why I think some of the Philippians were so dear to Paul. Don't turn there. You, you can read it later, but, but go back with me in your mind to the middle of the book of Acts. You remember how Paul even got to Philippi? I always found this strange. There was this man in this dream that appeared to Paul and said, come on over here, we, we need you over here. So Paul leaves where he is and he goes over there near, near Philippi. And Who are the first people he meets? Not a man, but a group of women. I always thought, well, why didn't you send a woman to say go over here? You know? Because the first group of people that he meets when he gets to this region is Lydia and, and other women. And, and, and the Bible tells us that they were so seeking for God and so Paul had the opportunity to share the gospel with them and Lydia and, and her family and, and these other gals became Christians and they became part of the church at Philippi. So I think Paul had this really deep affection for Lydia 
and her family and those other gals that he first met when he came to Philippi. But then don't forget, as the story went on and he was in Philippi, then as he was ministering, the Bible says that there was this young girl who had this evil spirit within her that gave her the ability to have a spirit of divination and, and she was being used by these cruel men to bring them profit in the, in the area. And Paul finally said enough and he cast the evil spirit out of her and I believe that that young woman also was part of that church in Philippi as well. And then how could we forget the Philippian jailer? Because remember, Paul was demonstrating even back there that contagious joy in spite of his circumstance because he and Silas are thrown into prison because of upsetting those men by, by losing their, their prophet. And so they're there and they're singing praises to the Lord and they're praying. And you know what happened? The, the Lord brought an earthquake and, and all the prisoners escaped and the jailer thought that he was going to lose his life because he had lost you know, all these prisoners. And Paul finds him and says, don't take your life. Let me share life with you. And the Bible says that the Philippian jailer opened up his heart to the Lord and then his whole entire family opened up their heart to the Lord and they were part of the church at Philippi. So you begin to see, no wonder Paul had a special love and affection and connection with these people in Philippi. He's talking about people like Lydia and like this young woman who had this evil spirit that he cast out and the Philippian jailer and his family too. And all these people made up that church. And Paul's saying, I long for you all because God did something special. And you can also then understand why Paul used the phrase partners in God's grace. Because he saw the grace of God not only in his life as a minister of the gospel, he saw the grace of God evident in Lydia to turn to the gospel and to those around her. He saw the grace of God evident in that young woman when that demon had her and, and God, you know, re released that, that control that that demon had over her and set her free. He saw the grace of God evident in the Philippian jailer and all that took place there. So finally, Paul says, here's my desire for you all. And now, instead of just saying, I mention you in my prayers and I pray with you jo with joy, now he gets a little specific here. And there's so much in these verses. I, I could spend weeks on verses 9, 10, 11, but I want to pick out the highlight here. The, the real desire that Paul has for the Philippians here is found in verse 10. He says, and I pray this, that your love may abound even more and more in knowledge and every kind of insight so that you can decide what is best and thus be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I say that the real key is in verse 10 because it really gives us another insight into experiencing the joy of God, and that is this. Paul's desire for the Philippians is that they would live for the things that will matter most throughout eternity. And Paul says, when you and I begin to grow in our love and our insight out of that love, that we can make the very best choices, that our priorities can be such that every day we are living for what matters most, that we are living for the things that will be, that will be valued and worth something throughout eternity. And Paul says, that's my desire for you. And when you and I, 
Live for what is going to matter throughout eternity, that brings joy. Because that's living for what matters most. Not for the temporal, material things that are here today and gone tomorrow, but for the things that really count and really matter. That's Paul's desire for them. That's Paul's desire for us as well. So tonight, folks, we have just begun to scratch the surface of this great letter of Paul. Hope you'll come back next week as we continue, but let me just encourage all of us tonight to realize that to experience the joy of God is a fight because there's so much in this world and, and, and so much that is offered to us that is less than the joy that only God can bring. And so often, even as God's followers, we settle for what is less Again, remember, this letter is not a rejection of joy. It's a rejection of cheap joy. This is not a rejection of satisfaction. It is a rejection of superficial satisfaction. It is not a rejection of delight. It is a rejection of shallow delight. Paul is saying, if you and I will just go deep with the Lord, and surrender our lives to him, we will experience and find a joy that is not tied to our circumstances, that, that the world can never match, and that we will settle in and live for that every day and not settle for something less than God's best. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the tremendous work that you did in the city of Philippi. God, you not only poured out your grace to all of these individuals, but you began to knit their hearts together with one another. You began to call them into partnerships and, and deep fellowship and connection with each other, God so that they could be partners in your grace, partners in the gospel. And God, their lives speak to us still to this day. And God, I pray today that each of us would realize that we can experience through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our life your joy every day because that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. And yet, Lord, so often we get distracted by the things that others or the world offers us that's less than what you're offering to us. And so I pray, God, that we would learn as the Philippians to decide what is best. What are those things, God, that our life can be a part of that will matter throughout eternity? things that really count, things that a million, 10 million years, billions of years from now when we're living in glory with you and our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that we'll still be rejoicing over, we'll still be singing about, we'll still be praising you about, we'll still be talking about God because nothing can bring us joy like surrendering our life to you and your will 
And so, God, I just pray that that would be what we focus on. Help us, God, to, to be in this spirit of this letter and to let it speak to us even now, God. And take us from this place, God, with a heart that just wants to, to seek you, to find you, and to love you more and more. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. We'll see you next week.